Where's that? Okay. Welcome to you. Uh, if you are new here today, I'm Pat Hegarty, one of the ministers here, and it is great to have you. And we're really, we've hit a pause in our normal program, and uh, I always promised our church that we would do this. Uh, you know, good management and leadership says you plan out things out in advance, but then we've always the proviso that if uh, God is breathing on something, uh, we pause the program uh, and dive into that. And so last week, we really launched this um, quick moment we're calling Return. I meant to do it as one message. Uh, I, did, I only got one point in three. Um, between now and then, I've got 15 more. So uh, we're not going to preach on all of those, but we'll just see how it goes today, how far we get there. But uh, just parenthetically, we have a really exciting two weeks coming up. Next week, if anyone's ever heard of uh, Shane Willard, um, he's been doing uh, itinerant ministry around the globe now for some years. I've known Shane for, I think, 15 years. Uh, probably the most... Um, uh, a man with the most thorough understanding of the Hebrew mindset and what the scriptures, as they were written, what they meant back then and how that applies to today. So he's here next Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, those in New Zealand who wanted him, uh, sucks to be you, he couldn't fly over there, so uh, we've got him. And uh, good to have that. And then the following week is a man called Duncan Brown. Now, a lot of you may not know Duncan, but he, he was uh, ex-CEO of Scripture Union. Then he went and pastored a quite large and incredibly impressive church in Victoria, um, and then uh, for family reasons and God's leading, really came back up to Queensland. He has a, a, a large, uh, I nearly called it an estate, essentially it's a farm out near towards Fernvale. But Duncan is one of the most incredible uh, men, I must say, that I've, I've ever met. Uh, and sometimes it's a bit like the, the book of Daniel, you, you love the message but you can't help but be impressed by the man. And Duncan is one of those rare individuals who, who just sees the big picture of the kingdom. He's incredibly entrepreneurial, incredibly spiritual, incredibly just grassroots Australian and just gets the job done. And he's doing some incredible entrepreneurial initiatives that are now his ministry out at Fernvale for um, bringing people, young folk through in, their, in that industry and he does fine quality meats and all. It's, it's unbelievable what he does. So please, the next two weeks, you don't want to miss the next two weeks of church. It's going to be fantastic. Kids um, are not back next week. Is that right, Lou? The week after? Um, but it's all good anyway. Okay, thanks for bearing with me with that. Return. So last week, I started by asking the question of you uh, to see whether or not you had a pulse, um, whether, you, whether, like me, you are actually human, um, and ever felt those moments in your life where uh, it's awkward to be you in a Christian setting, where we have a... We have a it's obviously not a challenge for some of us, you know, so we, uh, we embrace the whole spectrum there. It's, it's, all, it's all good. But some of us, we, we can get into a worship setting and, and uh, it's that time of the week. We've spent our whole week being dutiful, being faithful, being well-respected, uh, living the Christian life. And then we get to a church setting and suddenly there's passionate worship going on and, and even though we've dedicated our whole life to fulfilling God's call on our life, we find ourselves icy cold, unable to get our hands passed above there and, and uh, just thinking there's nothing going on in my heart. I can't remember the last time I really felt God's presence. I can't really felt, remember the last time I just responded out of pure joy, pure thankfulness, a pure heart for God. And what happens is we go, and we, we, we teased this right out last week, so please listen to that, that we start off in good faith. We start our walk with God in good faith. And, and from that relationship that we initially form, from that relationship overflows into our response. From, from the God's done so much, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So we respond from that relationship. But after a while, because our life gets ever more busy and ever more complex and the loads keep coming, 
And we don't know really how to grow our faith or grow our intimacy, grow a relationship with this God who we cannot see, who we can't predict. We soon learn that he doesn't seem to answer every single one of my entitlement-based prayers that expects that he will do this because he's big and I'm small. And we don't know how to grasp that. We don't know how to grasp that. Am I still there? And so we, in, to make up for that, we think, well, we still want to honor, honor God with our life, but to make up for that deficit, we become more and more uh, responsible rather than just responsive. There's a mic coming. All right. So we become ever more responsible as opposed to living from response. And so then we tapped into the scriptures last week that talked with Jesus' letter to the church that it would have been an irresistible church at first. Paul wrote his letter to the church at Ephesus and said, you've got it all, you're doing it all fantastic, but my only prayer for you is that you stay on with this revelation of love. In other words, that your relationship with God grows as your responsibilities grow. So that you don't, you don't just leave that relationship behind and live out of being dutiful. Being faithful is supposed to be a life that's full of faith, not replacement of faith. And so we've... we've evolved it into something very different. And so he says to this church at, at Ephesus, 40 years beyond Paul's original letters, I know your deeds and your hard work, your perseverance. You've persevered, you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And so he goes on and lists the great things that they've done and it really is the Western church today, broadly speaking. It's the Western church that just digs in and just turns up and just gets faithful. It's that Protestant work ethic that says, I'm working, I don't know what God's about, but I'm going to be about his work. And on we go. And we wonder why we get so weary of that because that the responsibility that's no, more, no longer born of response uh, uh, eventually withers the soul. And so then Jesus comes back and, it, and it's, it's, it's hard not to see the negative slant here, but, but he's saying, I need to get your attention now because this thing I hold against you, that you've forsaken the love that you had at first. So consider how far you've fallen and repent and do the things that you did at first. And we grab that and, we, and with looking at that through the lens of the Protestant work ethic, do the things you did at first. Okay, it's all about doing. I've got to do more, but I've got to do all this stuff and I've got to do that stuff before, but that stuff ceased working for me years ago. And so we just get wound up even more in this responsibility mindset because we misunderstand the heartbeat of what he's saying. But he's saying the things you did before, the things you did at first, weren't necessarily very responsible because truth be known, the New Testament epistles that Paul wrote, most of them were written because the church wasn't very good at being responsible. But they were full of the Spirit. They changed the world. And he's saying, I need you to go back there. Don't start sinning. I'm not giving you, you know, carte blanche permission to go, go crazy. I'm just saying it's not about what you do. The things that that I'm calling you to come back to are the things that you do that build relationship, the things that you do that foster this response again in your heart. And so last week we really came back that faith is the first one of those. That faith that saves you is not the faith that keeps you going, it's faith that sustains you. And so what I would like to do today, and I found myself doing the same thing again, of saying, let me give you now the top six things that you need to do to get back to your first love again. Because we do that. That's just, we are hardwired to work. We are actually hardwired. The fallen human soul is hardwired for religion. Earn the right. Turn up. Do the work. Because then God might be happy with you. Then the blessing might come because you've earned it. And we, we have this transactional mindset that if I do this, God must do that. 
But he does what he does to us despite what we do, doesn't he? But somehow we can't get that to become a normal response in our life. I first saw this when I was a ripe old age of 23 years old. And I'm still learning it. And I was the most faithful guy in our church. This is where Trish and I met um, back in Gosford. We were at this church plant for it. It was a Hillsong church plant. And I was full on, you know. I actually went to part-time work, part-time study, so I could just give, you know, 40 hours a week to the church. So I was a youth leader with Trish, and I was worship leader, and I was preaching, and I was doing all the stuff, setting up a brand new church plant. Never thought I'd be doing it again, but, you know, it, it it was just full on back then. And... One day, the senior minister, and back then it was very normal for a senior minister to call people out of the congregation. It's just the way we roll back then. Say, God's got a prophetic word for you. You know, say, oh, great, this is going to be awesome. And, and so you come on out and just hope it's a good one. And uh, it's, a, it's a promotion, not a demotion or something, you know. And um, you're never quite sure what's going to come out. And, uh, and then, but as he, as he started to pray, and this is a spirit-filled guy who's as Protestant as I am and work ethic, we're both working hard. I'm his 2IC and we're, we're thumping this thing out. And he could see him begin to struggle because God was breathing on him and giving him a word that he didn't want to bring because he didn't understand it and I didn't understand it. And he said, God does not want all that you're doing for him. He just wants you. And he, tr- he stumbled over it and he bumbled over it because he couldn't even believe it himself. But this is what came out of his mouth. And I'm in, in my mind, I'm thinking, God, how much do you want from me? All this stuff that I'm doing, I've given up as much as I possibly know, and I'm doing this for you, and I'm doing, and, and, and I couldn't understand what he was saying, and the pastor couldn't understand, and for 14 more years, I could never understand what God was saying, that he didn't want what I was doing, he wanted me, he just wanted me. Turn the engines off, turn the dials down, because I'm not impressed, and to be honest, I don't need it. I didn't die so you could work that hard. I died so that I could get relationship with you again. That's the only thing that was important. Took me forever to even get close to learning that. That was the Spirit's point. And there were these, this suite then of heart, heart-oriented elements that came out, that became in many ways my life story. I've never recovered from it. I never want to be. It was God's process of breaking me over many years and I've told that story in many different ways. But this was the beginning of it. And out of that came a distilled suite of lessons. It's, um, you know, I've heard the audible voice of God maybe six, seven times in my life, but it was at the end of this process where he said, here's what I was doing in you and why. Because I'd asked him, why? Because I didn't think it was fair that there was such a long delay between the calling and the anointing, the appointing for for my ministry in the end, which wasn't about me and never has been. Why there was such a long gap between very clear guidance about where he was going to lead my life and and the fulfilment of that. And what he brought me to are this scripture that I want to give you right now. And maybe a couple of us, maybe a couple of us can bypass the long, difficult lessons because God is tireless. He wants to bring you back to this first love. It's all he really is concerned about. It takes a lot to get God worried about things. But he's concerned and he would rather have no church than a loveless church. He says that. I'm going to take your lampstand away unless you guys can get back to the stuff that actually I died for. Let's start again. Let's hit the reset button. Let's blow up churches as we know it. Let's start house churches again. Let's, let's hit a reset, you know, and not be afraid of it. He's prepared to do it if we don't look again at our own heart and say, that model that you're doing, awesome. Love the buildings. I'm after this. How do I get there? 
incredibly confronting stuff. So he led me to Matthew 5, 3 to 12, the Beatitudes. And you'll understand the Beatitudes. I read them back then because the Lord had led me to them when I was 23. But when I was 40, he took me through them one by one. But he prefaced it by saying, write down the things that you've learned over the last 14, 15 years. And I wrote down eight things in order, in a specific order. And he said, now read this passage. And as I read them, I saw the antidote to these eight things that should never have been there in the first place. These heart attitudes. And this is what beatitudes are. They're, they're attitudes. The, the word actually means blessed mindsets. That's what the, the meaning of that word is. The be happy attitudes. It's that kind of thing. But the context of this, he wasn't talking to the crowd at this point. When he started, he was only talking to the disciples. Because they'd been asking things like, who's going to be the greatest? Can I be on your left and him on your right? You know, the mum the starts a lobby group and she comes in from the side and goes, hey, Jesus, I want you to do what we want you to do. And he's, he's got all the power brokers are coming at him. He goes, time out, guys. You're proud. You've got pride going on. You've got ambitions that don't match my ambitions. You've got mindsets and heart attitudes that are nothing to do with the kingdom. You're talking about empires and I'm working completely against you here. And he sits them down on the hill and he comes out with the Beatitudes. And if you allow them to infiltrate in your mind, and I'm literally only going to skim over them, but I sort of invite you to spend a year going through the Beatitudes and save your life. Save yourself all the effort and all the things that impress you. It begins with this one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying poor in spirit is the opposite to that haughty, uh, puffed up, chest out, proud, conceited mindset that everything in our lifestyle these days promotes. Be an Instagram success, be a uh, whatever it is, and it just get me the likes, get me the stuff, get me the income, get me the car, get me the shirt, get me the shoes, and it's a haughty spirit. Look at me. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And as you begin to tear down through these, you begin to say, see that he's relentlessly committed to us taking a low road. Not the low moral road, but the low bowed over road. Not the high road that promotes climbing ladders and being famous. Blessed are those who mourn, he says next, for they'll be comforted. What's that got to do with anything? See, mourning comes. Mourning is the opposite of denial. So you can't be comforted if you're in denial. If you deny there's pain there, if you deny what's happened to you, if you deny all this stuff, you can't allow yourself to mourn. And he only comforts those who allow themselves to be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they'll inherit the earth. And you see meekness, that meekness isn't weakness. You know, never mistake quiet leadership for weak leadership. Some of the best leaders on our planet have been those you'd never know about or hear about. He says, blessed are the meek. Meekness is strength under complete control. That doesn't feel the need to overburden, to control a situation and control people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Hey, how much do we just long for life to fill us? We've used different frameworks to explain that, the idols that we bow to or the false refuges that we seek after. He's just saying, you know, just, just let your spirit long for God. Just, do you remember what that's like? Because that's how we normally started. If you've been one of those blessed enough to remember your unsaved life and then your, your saved experience and go, all that mattered to me back then was just another hour with God, another chance just to talk about what matters to me. And he says, Blessed are those who hunger and they thirst after that because they'll be filled because life will never fill us. Blessed are the merciful for they'll be shown mercy. This one, we should put this on Facebook. 
see how many people like it and how many don't like it. Because every Facebook post incites judgment, incites an opinion. Like I'm a starter gun for controversy. All I've got to do is put a post up and I could set off World War III. You have that many followers and that many people who are just, just watching and you say one comment, don't you? And then boom comes the over-response. Then boom comes the over-response and out it all goes. But blessed are the merciful because they stop judging each other. I had the blessing of having a day or so off this week, just went up the coast like so many of us have been doing. And it was just such a relief to get off social media and have to reply to every email and everything. And, but then I'm in traffic and I'm seeing people start to abuse each other because one guy had his blinker on for not long enough and, or someone cut in or something like that. I think, can everyone just cut each other just a bit more slack? Because blessed are the merciful. What happened to mercy? What happened to just letting someone have their opinion and going, bless you? You've obviously thought that through. Good on you for that. I might be different, but so what? You know? And just cutting people some slack. Come on, baby. Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart. The uncompromised heart. The undiluted heart. The heart that's not managing their God life. To say, well, I've got all these other things I have to do, God. I'm sure you understand. I'll just, I've got to fit you into this part here. Because I can, I can do that half an hour or that every other day, and so on. And he's saying, now, blessed are those where it's not God competing against all these other things. It's just you, just him. Everything you do and every reason that you do it is because of what you're doing for him and the kingdom. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I can guarantee you that one. I know that. I don't know anyone who's pursued God with everything they have for, for say, 24 months, pick a number, but 24 months, and not literally began to see the visions, to see and hear what God has to say, to see miracles. If you pursue God, you will find him. He could run towards you, but if you're not pursuing, you'll never see, he'll just walk straight past you, you won't even know he's there. Our heart needs to be seeking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Peacemakers, Christians, what does that look like now? To be a peacemaker, not inciting division, not deliberately being polarised, even though we are being polarised. We're being forced into polarised positions because of opinions. But being able to, in the context of that, what does it look like for us to become peacemakers? Not even peacekeepers. Peacemakers. What does that look like? It's, I know it's not calling out everyone else's faults. It's something bigger and much grander than that. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're persecuted because of righteousness, not because they've stuck up for their rights. There's a real difference in that, and we all need to contemplate what that means. They are righteous people. They're credible people. They're believable, holy, godly people, and who, in the end, when they incite the slightest of an opinion, people will buy into it because they're credible. They're trustworthy. They're people they can rely on, not fanatics, people who can be trusted. And you can look at all those, those beatitudes and if you spend the time that I guess I've had to, you, you can find one big point there and I wonder if you can see what it is. There's one big point from the beatitudes. Remember the context, he's talking to proud, proud men who, don't, who know nothing but competition and rules and it's humility. If there's any one thing, do you remember what it was like to have humility? You won't hear it anywhere except the church these days. Because humility goes completely against the grain of every message we're hearing about what is success, what is credibility, the whole thing. 
Pride lifts myself up. If I have to, I'll push other people down. It focuses on me uh, in comparison with other people. I want my name up there. I want my title. I deserve more. I should be known. I should be respected. Why? Because I deserve it. That's pride. And the, all of the Beatitudes are saying, that is just the wrong mindset. I need you to come back to what was the core of your spirit that moment you first met me and you realised who is Lord of this universe, who spoke the whole thing into being, who can make anything possible, who can break through anything in your life and you realise how humble you really are and you just find peace in that place and you can finally rest with a humble heart that doesn't ask of anything but is expectant for all things. A humble heart doesn't look for a platform. It gets satisfaction out of just the least and the lost. The irony of the whole thing, and it's something that you need to really grapple with, it's because it's the next fiery lesson that comes after a humble spirit. James and Peter both say, humble yourself before the Lord, and what will he do? Lift you up. But I'm coming down here because I don't want to be lifted up. Yeah, but now you're ready to be lifted up because now I can trust you. And it was the moment that I'd finally broken through in such a huge way that I felt that the Lord finally despite my arguments, threw me into the ministry that I wanted many decades before. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. When God lifts you up, no one's going to stand in the way. And when He lifts you up, you won't care whether He does or He doesn't because it's no longer the issue. So humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, Dallas Willard tells us. It's just you are not the issue anymore. And humility is not the place of the weak, it's only the place of the spiritually strong. Strong enough not to need the approval of anybody or worry about what happens next. That's true humility. But out of that humility, if I could go into just one more maybe today, and I had, as I say, I've got a string. Out of humility comes thankfulness. The first thing that humility births out of us is thankfulness. And I just wonder how thankful you find your own heart to be. Is it hard for you? I understand, because we all go through the seasons and the moments of this, but right now, how thankful are you? How easy, how instinctive is it to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You get up in the morning. Thank you, Lord. Day number 18,561. It looks like Groundhog Day, but I can't wait because anything can happen today. Or is it just Groundhog Day? And God, I'll be happy if you just change something about this day. Thankfulness comes from humility. It recognises and rejoices in this Thing called blessing of God and, and the blessedness comes from the path of humility and I can rejoice in small things it stops demanding and, and this humility and, and this thankfulness inspires this gratefulness that you just can't keep quiet about and it manifests into rejoicing and so now regardless of the circumstances regardless of what you've been through now you just think I'm just, I'm just happy we're supposed to be happy so he's normal that's normal. Maybe we don't all have to do that. But we all manifest. I love this guy. Because it challenges me. How thankful am I? How quick is my response? How quick is it? Or do I have to work it up and logic myself into a place of thankfulness? I've lost humility at that point. Rejoice always, Paul says. Pray continually. Give thanks in all situations because this is God's will for you. Ever want to know what God's will for your life is? We're going, am I going left or am I going right? He goes, no, pray and give thanks. Be happy. Get excited about something. Because thankfulness is kryptonite 
for entitlement. It destroys entitlement. And entitlement is the, the matrix of our world right now. It's literally integrated, woven in, entitlement. I deserve blank. Thankfulness destroys that thing. Entitlement will focus on what's lacking. Thankfulness is focused on what God's done, who he is, and what he's given. Finds joy without any demand. Thankfulness. And I'll give one more, because one leads to the other. Humility leads to thankfulness. Thankful, uh, thankfulness leads to prayer. When you're thankful, when you're humble, you've, 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 you've stopped all this responsibility stuff. You're not living from that anymore. Your energy goes into prayer. And prayer is simply communication, obviously. But it's the overflow of this catalyst of union with the Spirit. I've humbled myself before God. I realise He's big. You know, he's, He is God. I'm not, I'm not entitled. I'm thankful. What else are you going to do? You're going to pray. You're going to rejoice in having time with Him. I love the way Paul finishes off that, that one Thessalonians verse. Rejoice, pray continually, give thanks, for it's God's will for you. Do not quench the Spirit. In other words, when we don't do that, we're quenching the Spirit. How long since you've had the Spirit having you happy? How long since you've prayed for someone and seen a miracle? How long since the gifts of the Spirit have poured out of you? How long since you know what the power of the anointing of the Spirit looks like on your life? Maybe it's this. Maybe you're living over here in responsibility and there's no response left anymore and you just need to come back to first things. Maybe it's just as simple as that. There's no judgment in that. God just wants you to be loved and to know you're loved, to be full of his Holy Spirit. And the overflow of that is going to be prayer. And there's no asterisk after the verse saying, pray unless you're busy. Pray unless you're too stressed. Pray unless everything's bombarding your life. Say, no, pray because of that. Because of that. And so our relational communication with God needs to evolve and grow. It's not the same as we did. We're praying as we did then, but the prayers of now aren't the prayers of then. Back then, my prayers were as simple as, God, I'm going to walk into the motor registry because I was a 19-year-old full of testosterone young guy and I wanted a motorbike. And I said, I'm going to walk into the registry, God, because I've been saved like six seconds. And, and I, had, I had my entitlement hat on. So I'm going to walk in there and if they allow me to get my license, I'm going to go out and buy a motorbike. But the deal's got to be, if I buy the motorbike, I'm not ever going to fall off that thing. Is that right? We all sorted with that? Right, so I walked boulders brass into the motor registry. That was the, the, the new believer's prayer. And the guy says, no, there's a full week waiting list for uh, getting your license, you know. Well, that's okay. I was just testing God. I didn't know that was wrong back then. Uh, and he says, oh, hang on. I think I've got a spot. Come on through. And, I'll get, I'll <laughs> and God, it's no, it's, no, it's no sign that that was a good prayer or a good attitude or anything. But in those early days, the, the prayer and the type of faith of a new Christian, what's God doing? Building my faith. It's not an endorsement of my prayer. It's, it's, it's not going to be the formula that I can use for the rest of my life. It was just one of those early moments where he just met me right there. And my faith just grew and I went out and I, I bought a motorbike. I did all sorts of crazy things on it. I never fell off because I had to deal with God and he looked after me, right? You know that bargain never worked again? Suddenly I grew up. Suddenly I started, I started praying prayers that weren't getting answered anymore. I was praying for sick people who weren't being healed. Some were, some weren't. There was inconsistency. I said, like, God, are you listening to me this time? And I realised, oh, he's dealing with me differently now. He requires a, an element of maturity because he's maturing me. Entitlement needs to go. 
And so as he develops that, that faith becomes complicated. So now we have to come back with all of our mature faith, come back, what do we do at first? Well, we pray, but the prayers are different. Now the prayers aren't right or left, up or down, because he's saying, well, I've made you a son and a daughter. I've given you wisdom. I want to work through you, and I'm with you wherever you go. So what do I pray about? We pray things like, Father, what concerns you? This is a relationship now that's growing. See, what do I do with my, my wife? Or you will have found, those of us who are married and been married for a little while, you know, when you first get together, everything they say is like it's, they're a genius. It, you just become enamoured with them. You just sit there with your mouth open and go, I never knew there were human beings like you. And the girl comes in and she wants to tell you the long story of everything in her life. And you've, you've got unlimited patience. You're just going. And because you've been so caring and, and careful, she'll believe anything you say. It's just like these two perfect people. How have we not found each other before this? But then you get married and the relationship you know, evolves. And now you've heard all those stories a number of times. I get, I've got to be very careful right now because I'm off script, you know. But you know how the mature... The, the relationship matures and you think, yes, I did hear about that quite a number of years ago and quite a number of times ago. So we can't, we're not talking about the same things all the time because we don't just hit repeat, repeat, do we? We're talking about new things. So now what do I talk about with my wife? We don't talk about what we did 32 years ago. Now we're talking about what's God saying to us now? What's, what's our dreams for life now? How do we plan the rest? And so as a, as a Christian who's mature, the relationship matures. And, you, and you're coming to God as father, as friend, as child, as co-heir, saying, what concerns you? Here's the things that are happening in my life. What do you think about those? What's your response? We don't just say, I want to go either left or right. Which one do I pick? We're opening up a whole other dialogue where he says, maybe there's a third option you've got because he always has a better option. Maybe the option you've got is not the one I've been thinking of. And sitting back and listening for that. It's dialogue, living, dreaming with God about what can be. That's how this church started. We're sitting down, dreaming with God. God, how could it be if we started again? How could it be if we dealt with all these different issues that are arising in the local churches? What if we started fresh with a different mindset? How could it look? It looks like this. Dream with God. Okay, let me call it a quit sec because I'm aware the kids are in and it's school holidays and such. But I'm just wondering, are you getting the essence of this? Faithful people, you, faithful Christians, I love you. God loves you. There is no judgment here. But he's calling you to a higher calling. And that higher calling is relentlessly taking a road that takes you lower. Because it's good for you. And it's good for the world. And it's a road of humility. Where it's not about you anymore. But there's nothing left in your heart but to seek after God and find your joy found in only him. And then one day you find yourself there. Maybe today for many of us. You find yourself there. And then a few years later on you find you've got to go back there and find yourself again as I've had to in, in the last few weeks and months. Because it happens every year or two, I've got to remember, in my heart, my heart is not naturally humble. I would do anything for it to be that way. But I've got to put on, as Paul says, a cloak. I've got to clothe myself in humility until it becomes natural again. I've got to do what humility requires. I take the low road. To the right, there's an offer of fortune and fame. I could get on Instagram, I could sell books, I could do all that sort of stuff. Temptation's always there. Or do I take an intentional low road and invest all that time and effort and heart back into what God's doing? Because what God's doing is here. What God's doing is you. So to say yes to that, I must say no to that. 
And that's where the blessing comes because it's not about me. What's your, what's your path? One path will go up, one path will go down. And all I know is that if we relentlessly dedicate ourselves to taking the low road, the road of humility, God meets us there. And if he has a desire and a will to be done, he will lift you up and nothing will ever stand in the way of that. Let's pray together. Let's pray as the band comes up. Father, we just thank you for the paradox of what you say. It makes absolutely no sense in the world's eyes. And, and Lord, we, when it comes down to it, we wouldn't have it any other way. We're in this kingdom that is so different to empires. And so, Lord, I pray, I, I invite you now, Holy Spirit, just to come. Because, Lord, considering these things changes lives, changes trajectories forever. Decisions made based on humility rather than pride rewrite the course of history, rewrite relationships, save marriages, alter careers, build the kingdom because we're reliant on you being involved and you lifting us up. So Father, I pray that for every heart that's here that's saying, I want to take that lower path. I want to go down the road that requires me to bow. Jesus, I pray that you would meet them right there, right now with the power of your grace the way you met me and changed me. I pray that you would meet them and fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with the peace of knowing that so much of our life doesn't really matter, that their name and their lights and their Twitter handle doesn't matter. And they can live freely and fully for you. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.